0: Yes. Hello, and welcome to Freedom in Christ. Today, we're looking at our daily choices to follow Christ. Now, we might think becoming a Christian means that we will automatically do things right, like accepting Christ all of a sudden solves your problems. Well, I'm sorry to say, it doesn't work that way. You see, as believers, we sense the Holy Spirit deep down inside, and we want to please God. But we often fail to live the Christian life like we like, want to, and sometimes we don't feel any different at all to be honest some of our bad habits don't instantly disappear in fact the struggle with sin may seem to intensify but well, why is that well in this session we're going to be looking at what the Bible calls the flesh the second of our enemies now Paul says those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh But those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. For the mind of the flesh is death, and the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind of the flesh is hostile towards God. Now, let's start by looking at a little more at what happened and what did not happen when we became Christians. Well, what changed? We've already seen that the moment you became a Christian, some dramatic changes took place in your life. First, we have a new heart and a new spirit within us. One of the greatest prophecies of the Old Testament is this. I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new spirit within you. Now, before we are Christians, our hearts were deceitful beyond cure, as Jeremiah puts it. But now in Christ, We have brand new, clean hearts. Isn't that good news? Now, second, we have new life in Christ. We are new creations, and now we are alive in Christ. Third, we have a totally new master. Our spiritual authority is now God. Before our conversion, it was Satan. Now, what didn't change? Let's look at some of the things that didn't change when you and I became Christians. First, our bodies didn't change. Physically, we still had the same body as we did before. And that's bad news, isn't it? (laughs) One day, we'll get a new body. But for now, we still have to tend with the same old flesh and bones. Second, our flesh wasn't taken away. Now, when we talk about the word flesh, we're not referring to our physical bodies but we're talking about the urges and the desires that our physical bodies have. You can think of the biblical concept of flesh as this. It's the urge to do what comes naturally to the fallen human being. Now, as we grow up independent of God, we learn to react and cope with things certain different ways. These old way of thinking and behavior are primarily characteristics of the flesh. When we become Christians, no one pressed the clear button in our minds. Let me give you an illustration of how that flesh works. Now, I used to have a really difficult time having a conversation with my father. His face always seemed to see, be cold and harsh toward me when I saw him. So when I looked at him, it made me feel like something was wrong with me. So every time I saw him, I learned to feel rejection. Now, over the years, I've learned some things about my father and how he grew up as a child. I learned how he conditioned himself to survive in the Vietnam War. I realized that his tough face didn't mean that he was angry with me. It was just a result of his past. However, I learned to think it meant it was rejection towards me. It's taking me some time to train myself, but now I think differently about my father. Now, even now, I tend to see, when I see my father, my initial reaction is to think and feel rejection. Then I have to remind myself of the truth. And that's exactly how the flesh works. It's a set of automatic thoughts and behaviors that we learned over time, flesh is an unfamiliar word, but it is exactly what the original Bible text says. The Greek word used in the New Testament was a word used to describe meat you would buy from the supermarket or the flesh that makes up your body. Now, many modern Bible translations went through a phase where they didn't translate the word flesh literally, but interpreted it as sinful nature. I completely understand why they did that because the word flesh sounds old. However, using the term nature is unhelpful and confusing because, as we've seen, Christians no longer have a sinful nature, but we share in God's nature. Now, a phrase such as sinful tendencies might work better because it clearly communicates the concept that we have something inside of us, the Bible calls the flesh, that pulls us towards sin, without implying that we, our inner person, are back into the position of being sinners. We're going to stick with the literal translation flesh, and that's what many Bible translators do now. Three, another thing that has not changed is that sin didn't die. The big question for many is this. How can we defeat sin? The bad news, we can't the good news is this. Christ has already done it for us. Sin itself is not dead. It's far from being dead. In fact, it is still extremely appealing, and it it tempts us every day to meet our legitimate needs of security, acceptance, and significance through other things other than God. Then what has to change so that we don't go around in circles falling into the same old sin patterns. It won't happen because you try harder. The key to freedom is this. It's knowing the truth. We need to know the truth about sin. Even though sin used to be our master, Paul tells us it has no power over us anymore. Even though sin is very much alive, Paul tells us, that we are to realize that we are alive to God and dead to sin. It's good news. When we died with Christ, his death ended our relationship with sin. But I need to be honest with you. Sometimes I wake up feeling more dead to Christ and alive to sin. Like Paul said it this way. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, what is this law? Paul calls it the law of sin. Well, the question is, how can I overcome the law that is still effective? Well, question, who in here can fly? Well, why can't you fly? Well, because every time you try, the law of gravity keeps you stuck to the earth. But the reality is, we all can fly. All we need to do is get into an airplane. Has the law of gravity been temporarily suspended? No, it's still working, but we've overcome the law of gravity by greater law. It's the law of lift and thrust. So how do you overcome the law of sin that is still in effect? By a greater law. Romans 8, 2 says it like this. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life that's now at work in me as a child of God is greater than the law of sin and death. Before I came a child of God, a saint, a holy one, I had no choice but to stay in the ground of my sin. But now in Christ, I have the power to choose to fly above the law of sin and death, and so do you.
1: So at 13 years of age, something massive came into my life and I was introduced to pornography. And this was going to have a huge, huge, huge hold on my life. As I was revising and studying, I needed pornography more. And it was like some sort of release mechanism for me, or that's how it felt. But of course, with the pornography came a new experience, uh, and that was masturbation. But as soon as that finished, I was just riddled with guilt and shame and vowed then, this will never happen again, but until the next time. And it was just like this big circle, pornography, masturbation, guilt, shame. Life went on and I just kept going through the motions. And I I gave my life to the Lord at a mission in 1987. My mind kept going back to John's Gospel, chapter 11. So Jesus Christ shouts at Lazarus and says, Lazarus, you gotta come out of the tombs. But he came out with grave clothes. And I just still thought, I've come out, but I have all this grave clothes on me. And I just wasn't free. So then I met Heather, who's now my wife, and at the start things were great. But all the time I'm like doing the outward thing, like Amen, Hallelujah, Praise the Lord, Brother, and inside I'm falling apart. And I get speaking to one of the leaders of the church and just was straight with him and says, Look, I'm a mess. Um, I'm struggling with pornography and masturbation and he prayed with me. And so I go away thinking I'm free because he's prayed with me and, and stuff like that. But within weeks, I'm back at the same stuff again. And Heather and I were sitting in the front room and I burst into tears and said, Heather, I can't go on. I'm a mess. I've introduced pornography to you. We're watching pornography together now. And we discovered a house group that was going through freedom in Christ and so the only thing I could describe was weeks of crying, talking, calling out to God, meeting with the group to go through freedom with Christ and I remember my mentor saying Jesus said you've got to take up your cross and follow him and if you want to follow him completely and and pursue this freedom there will be a cost Uh, and it was a very painful journey, there was nights Were this dark cloud of pornography like in this voice coming saying sure it's only porn, it's only masturbating, everybody does it and I had to wrestle with all this but eventually through this freedom in Christ journey I experienced freedom, complete, complete freedom and it was just amazing and I remember for a period of time the devil seemed to be coming and saying until the next time. You're only free until the next time. But there was no next time.
2: We've said that becoming a Christian was the defining moment in our lives, a time of momentous change. We now have a new heart, a new spirit, we have new life in Christ, we have a new master, but our flesh wasn't taken away and sin didn't die. In this discussion, let's try to get to grips with how the flesh and sin still try to affect us. So it's becoming clear that we face some very real choices. Even though we no longer have to think and react according to our flesh, we can choose to do so. And even though sin has no power over us anymore, we can choose to give in to it. Let me read you a passage. It's 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to three, verse three. And in it, Paul describes three different types of person. See if you can identify which one you are. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So this describes someone who's not yet a Christian. Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Separated from God, living independently of him, no sense of any kind of direction from the Holy Spirit. So effectively living prompted solely by the impulses of the flesh. So Paul continues. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. So the spiritual person. This is supposed to be the normal state for a Christian. Mm-hmm. Our spirit now united with God's spirit. We make choices every day to walk by the spirit instead of the flesh. And therefore, the fruit of the spirit is becoming more and more obvious in our lives. That person still has the flesh, but they crucify it daily as they recognize the truth that they're now dead to sin. And they submit to God and resist the devil. And so increasingly, the spiritual person is going to find their emotions marked by joy and peace instead of turmoil. And this is the model of maturity to which all of us are hopefully moving. But please don't dismiss it as some kind of impossible dream or something that might be possible for others, but not for you. Let's just find out what the third person is. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So you have people of the flesh. Who are they? Well, this seems to describe Christians So people who've been made spiritually alive, just like the spiritual person, but instead of choosing to follow the impulses of the spirit day by day, moment by moment, they follow the impulses of the flesh. Now they are free to walk according to the spirit, but they don't walk according to the spirit, either by deliberate choice, or much more likely because they're being deceived and don't really know how to. But for them, their daily life will tend to work out a lot more like the natural person the non-Christian than the spiritual person. They'll find that their minds are occupied by unhelpful thoughts. Their emotions, they may be plagued by negative feelings, and their bodies may well be showing signs of stress because they are living in opposition to their identity in Christ, their true identity. So they're gonna have feelings of inferiority, insecurity, inadequacy, guilt, worry, doubt, that kind of thing. And they'll also tend to get stuck in certain sins you probably know the passage in Romans 7 where Paul describes how bad it feels to be stuck he refers to himself as a miserable or wretched man and the reality is that because our spirit is joined to God's spirit we delight in God's law in our inner person we really want to go his way and yet when we do get stuck and we find that we fail time and again you know maybe we return to comfort eating and just keep going back to it that's my thing Uh, or gossip or sexual sin Um, in the end we end up feeling completely hopeless don't we and it's easy to conclude wrongly that we can never escape now the salvation of the fleshly christian is not the issue the issue is this what you accomplish in your life in such a state because at some point we're all going to stand before God and we're going to look back at what might have been. Now, I wonder if you've kind of made up your mind which sort of person you are. Um, If you feel that you're more a person of the flesh than a spiritual person, please don't beat yourself up. God's love for you hasn't changed. But let's just look at what might be getting in the way and how to deal with it. So here are some of the things that keep us stuck there. First of all, there's deception. You know, As those fleshly patterns of thinking, those habits that we've learned get more and more ingrained, they become entrenched within us. And when we refer, we refer to them as strongholds, they stop us seeing things as they really are, and they keep us in deception. So from my experience, the kind of common thoughts of deception that Christians might have would be, for example, coming on a course like this, saying this might work for others, but my case is somehow special and it won't work for me. I could never have faith like so-and-so. God could never use me. It can take a determined effort to deal with a stronghold. It does take a determined effort to deal with a stronghold. But when we come to session eight of the course, we'll show you a really good effective way of doing that that anyone can use. Here's another thing that keeps us from moving forward. In Ephesians 4 26 and 27, Paul says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, if we don't deal with something like anger quickly, which isn't a sin, by the way, it's just an emotion, um, if you don't deal with it quickly, it turns into a sin. Maybe a sin such as bitterness or unforgiveness. And what Paul says is, when there is sin like that, we give the devil a foothold, if you like, an opportunity to hold us back. Let me give you an illustration. Some years ago, I was traveling with uh, my wife and our our daughters, who were quite young then, uh, back from Spain, on a budget airline. And at the time, that particular airline didn't give you seats. Well, they did give you seats, they just didn't tell you which ones they would be. So if you had a young family and there were four of you, and you wanted to be together, you had to kind of be first in the queue, or near the top of the queue, anyway. Um, This plane was two hours late, and so the, the big calculation in my mind is, at what point should I leap out of my seat and join the queue, or will I just be standing there forever? Well, finally, people started doing stuff at the check-in desk, turning their computers on and typing things in, and a few people jumped up and started to form a queue. So, big type A personality, off I was there, uh, you know, in the queue, about seventh in the queue. Uh, wife and children, I didn't know where they were, but that was OK, because I was going to get four seats just in front of the wing. So, finally, we move on to the plane, um, and I can see the four seats I want, so I'm walking towards them, and I suddenly started getting this strange feeling in my mind. It's like, I can't walk forward. Being a man, this would never happen to a woman, being a man, I can only think of one thing at one time. So I chose to ignore the thought that I couldn't walk forward and kept walking forward with difficulty, with increasing difficulty until I ground to a halt and I really couldn't go any further forward. At which point I had to work out what the problem was. And I was wearing this jacket with elasticated toggles. (laughs) And so as as I'd come round the first row, this toggle here had wedged uh, in the seat. And so I'd managed to walk seven rows down the plane. Um, But now I was stuck because I couldn't go back because all these other people were behind me and they were like going, come on, we want our seats. So the word had to go back, this guy's got his toggle stuck. Uh, And in fact, it was my wife who was just coming round there who released it and it went down the plane. And everybody thought it was hilarious and we got our four seats and all was well. But I just had a sense that God was giving me a picture of what it's like to have a foothold of the enemy in your life. I've known so many Christians who've really wanted to move forward. I remember one couple saying, we just want to be like everybody else, but they couldn't. Something was holding them back. So it's not a will thing, but if you have footholds of the enemy in your life, you can't move forward. For example, if you've never truly forgiven someone who hurt you, you leave this great big door open in your life to the enemy to come in and confuse your thinking and stop you connecting with truth and hold you back. If you don't know how to close that door by obeying God and forgiving that person and kicking the enemy out of your life, no matter how well someone preaches the truth to you, Honestly, you are unlikely ever to get hold of it in a way that you can grasp and put into practice. But the really good news is it's actually very straightforward to release that toggle, to get rid of the foothold. And later in the Freedom in Christ course, you're going to have the opportunity to do that as we go through the process that we've mentioned once or twice already, the steps to Freedom in Christ. You can use it to examine all the areas of your life, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there are any places where you haven't repented and close the door to the enemy's influence. And then in a really calm, controlled way, you take the authority that you have in Christ as a child of God, and you repent of those things, you turn away from them, and that cuts off the capacity of the enemy to confuse your thinking and hold you back. And in our experience, there is absolutely no Christian that doesn't benefit from this process and for many Christians it's the key to getting hold of the truths that we're teaching, seeing them go from head to heart. I go through the steps to freedom every year, it's amazing how much rubbish I can accumulate in a year but it's not uncommon for people who've been through the steps of freedom in Christ to be sitting in some teaching that we do and say something like well why on earth didn't someone tell me this 20 years ago? And I know for sure that their poor pastor, if you heard them say that, might well say, I've been telling you for 20 years. They just weren't able to connect with it in any meaningful way until they dealt with those personal and spiritual conflicts. And for many who are going through this course right now, it is going through the steps to freedom that will suddenly enable you to grasp key truths for the first time in a real way. Heart, not just head. I've seen people go, oh, God really does love me. Oh, there really is no condemnation for me now. God really does want the best for me. I don't have to be frightened anymore. I'm not a victim anymore. Let me give you a final reason that we may not make progress. And it's that we haven't learned to take responsibility for the things that God says are our responsibility. I've put some additional teaching on the app on this because it's a crucial area, but here's the bottom line. Peter says, 2 Peter 1:3, his divine power has given us, note the tense there, yeah. past tense, has given us everything we need Not nearly everything we need for a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Paul agrees. And in Ephesians 1-3, he says that we already have every spiritual blessing. So it's not a question, is it, of asking God to do something more. And it's not a question of looking for some anointed person to zap us or pray the right prayer over us. It comes down to knowing just who you are, a holy child of a living God who already has everything they need to be the person God's calling them to be, to do the things he's prepared in advance for you to do. And then understanding what that means in practice so that you can actually do it. And that is what this course is all about. When you consider that huge change that took place in us when we became Christians, it's actually a pretty sobering thought that we might actually not look or act very differently to someone who hasn't yet become a Christian. But if you've realized during this session that you're showing more signs of being a fleshly person than a spiritual person, the last thing that's gonna help is if you beat yourself up. That only gives the flesh more opportunity to offer you ways that it says will make you feel better. Don't do that. Instead, let's try to help each other work out what's getting in the way of growing into the spiritual person and what we can actually do about it.
3: I was diagnosed with depression just after my grandson was born, so that was seven years ago. And um, I went out on the hills Uh, one day and I I was really suicidal, really contemplating how I could end my life. And I was just walking through the fields and I came across some uh, fleece. And when I picked it up, I just had this real sense for the first time in my life of God speaking aloud to me saying, my sheep hear my voice. And that was mind-blowing to me and for that was sort of the start, the road to recovery. And I had some antidepressants and I had some support from my friend. But freedom in Christ was sort of the final breaking of that chain because when I realised who God said I was, that he loved me, that I was secure in him, that I was accepted by him, that he had a role for me to play, it meant that I could leave behind everything that was dragging me down. Um, And that was sort of the final... And it meant that I could come off the antidepressants and um, move on from there. Comfort eating. Looking at me now, I'm a fabulous size 12. Um, Just under two years ago, I was a size 18 heading into size 20. Um, When I got worried and upset, I'd go to the biscuit tin or the crisp packet or the cakes. Um, And I found Food, a real pleasure. I love food. Uh, I love good food. But it was also my real downfall and there were times when food held me a prisoner. So when you're walking around the supermarket and you see your favourite cakes and your favourite sweets and your favourite chocolate, you think to yourself, I really want that. And there were times when I was walking around the supermarket and I was crying. But because I'd done Freedom in Christ and I knew that God loved me and that was secure in that, I could choose to make the right choices. And I would say to myself, you don't have to eat that, you're worth more than that. Because if I hadn't done Freedom in Christ, I wouldn't feel secure, I wouldn't feel accepted, and therefore I wouldn't have been able to make those difficult decisions when they were difficult. Because I knew that God loved me and cared for me and had a purpose for me, it meant I realised that I could take control of my eating and my eating didn't have to take control of me. If I hadn't done Freedom in Christ, Um, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be able to tell this story. Yeah, I'm just
4: such a different person to five years ago. Once we've committed ourselves to believe the truth no matter what we feel and once we've dealt with our unresolved spiritual conflicts then we're genuinely free to make a choice every day. We're back in the position that Adam and Eve were in before the fall, able to choose freely. And that free will is very important to God. Paul wrote, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The key choice we can make every day is whether to obey the promptings of the flesh or the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And the two are in direct opposition to each other. Remember I told you we were missionaries in Spain? Well, the church my husband and I planted, divided. Not once, but twice in two years. And like all divisions, it was nasty and it was very, very painful. Our leaders and friends became our enemies. It felt like we'd lost a child, like we'd lost our baby. And in the midst of all this turmoil, I gathered to pray with two women. And we prayed and we shared our hearts and we probably cried a bit. And at one point they stopped me and said, Nancy, you, you've got to stop talking like that. And I said, like what? You always say I'm such a disaster. And I responded, but it's true. I'm forgetful. I'm absent-minded. I'm always late. And I so easily feel overwhelmed. So, un desastre. But as we continued praying, the Lord was gracious, and he revealed to me both my false and my true identity. He showed me I'd been living like a chicken when he had made me an eagle. I certainly didn't feel like an eagle. I don't even like to fly, literally. <laughs> identified so much more with a chicken. Small, shy, fearful, bound to earth, anxious and overwhelmed that the sky is falling. But no, God had made me an eagle. Fearless, free, flying above the storm, living in the heights. Do you think I feel like an eagle now? Sometimes. Other times, the amount of pain or conflict has led me to cry out, Lord, can't you see this is killing me? And he patiently answers, yes, Nancy, for a chicken to fall from this height would be lethal. But you're an eagle, and I'm teaching you to fly. Rarely a day goes by when my flesh doesn't tell me that I'm a chicken. And I can make the choice to listen to that lie and allow it to domesticate me, or to listen to the promptings of the Spirit and to dare to fly free. So, what does walking by the Spirit actually mean? Well, walking by the Spirit is not just a good feeling. Sometimes the Holy Spirit touches us in a way that we feel full of joy or peace. And that's a lovely gift when it happens. But being filled with the spirit day by day is so much more than that. Because if we base our life on having a good feeling, we'll always be looking for the key to feel better. And we'll be constantly chasing after a new experience. I've known so many people in our churches addicted to having people pray for them. They seek that warm, tingly feeling inside or maybe a cathartic emotional release. But there's no fruit in their lives, right? Until they realize they're responsible for their own growth in the Lord. Walking by the spirit is not a license to do whatever we want either. Some think that freedom means we can cast off all the guidelines God has given us to help us lead responsible lives. And you can try that. And for a while your sin of choice may feel like freedom but eventually you'll realize it's actually bondage. The key question is, can you stop? If you can't, you've become a slave to sin. Walking by the Spirit isn't legalism or slavishly obeying a set of rules either. The Old Testament revealed the moral nature of God, but nobody could live up to it. The point of the law was to lead us to Christ, by teaching us how much we needed him. And Paul says, if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. When we see living for God as obeying just a set of rules or behaving a certain way, our walk with him becomes a joyless trudge. It's hard to keep it up and very tempting to give up. God isn't blessed by people who obey because they feel they have to. He wants us to obey because we want to, because we delight in doing His will. So what is walking by the Spirit? Well, walking by the Spirit is true freedom. We read in Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The devil can't make you walk in the flesh although he will try to draw you that way. We have the freedom to be the people God created us to be and to make the choice to live by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is also being led. During our time in Spain, we lived for a while in an area where there were lots of sheep. And in Spanish, the words for shepherd and pastor are the same. So when people asked Rob what he did for a living and he answered, I'm a pastor, they would ask, of sheep or of goats?
3: <laughs>
4: anyway, one day, one day I accompanied a friend to pastor her sheep and I stood by the gate while she went to open the stable door and let the sheep out. And I waited, but nothing. And then I heard her say, Nancy, Could you hide behind the wall where the sheep can't see or hear you? You see, the sheep didn't know me, so hearing me or seeing me frightened them, but not so with her or with her dad. And Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them. They follow me. Walking by the Spirit is also walking at God's pace in the right direction. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Being yoked to Jesus doesn't work if only one of us is pulling. Nothing will get done if we expect God to do it all. And neither can we accomplish anything lasting for eternity if we try doing it all ourselves. Only Jesus knows the right pace and the right direction to walk. When we walk with him, we learn that his ways are not hard, and we find rest for our souls. How can we tell that we're walking by the Spirit? Well, just as you can tell a tree by its fruit, you can tell whether you're walking by the Spirit by the fruit in your life. If you're being led by the spirit, your life will be increasingly marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're living according to the flesh, that too will become evident in your life. Now, perhaps you've become aware during the session that you're living according to the flesh. What's the appropriate response? Well, simply to confess it, to deal with any footholds of the enemy, to invite the Holy Spirit to fill you and start obeying the promptings of the Spirit rather than of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is a day-to-day, moment-by-moment experience. You can choose every moment of every day to walk by the Spirit or walk by the flesh. In my case, to walk like a chicken, you know, or to fly like an eagle.
2: God's word tells us to walk by the spirit rather than by the flesh, because the spirit and the flesh are in direct opposition to each other. It also tells us to keep on being continuously filled with the spirit. Use this time to ask God to fill you afresh and to commit yourself to walk by the Spirit rather than by the flesh.